right, good morning. You hear me? Loud and clear. All right. Well, again, thank you for being here. Welcome. Those who are watching online, I want to welcome you as well. Turning your Bibles to the book of Isaiah today. Um, Wanted to follow up on something that Pastor Bart said last week. He kind of got on those who are watching on live stream in their PJs. And I just want to say, you know, we like to say around fullness, come as you are. So if you want to come here and watch in your PJs, you're welcome. Please just come um, if you are physically able. We would love to have you. We are starting a new series today that actually Gabriel has kind of outlined to put this series together called Servant Songs, as you see behind me. And if you're already kind of lost, like, what is Servant Songs? What does that have to do with Isaiah? Um, let me just kind of set it up. If you've ever been brave enough to kind of venture through the book of Isaiah, which is not an easy book to read, you've noticed the word servant appearing a lot. It appears about roughly 20 times in the book of Isaiah, but especially in kind of the last third of the book, kind of chapters 40 through 55. But there's specifically four passages in Isaiah that talk about this figure known as the servant of the Lord or the servant of Yahweh. And so those four passages are going to make up the next four Sundays of this, this series. So I have today, um, Gabriel's going to take the next two weeks, and then Pastor Bart, when he comes back home, is going to finish this out. But kind of the vision that, that Gabriel has for this series, you saw it on the video really, is that we see that where Israel has failed, Jesus has succeeded, but we get invited into the mission of him of the servant. And I'm excited about this, this series because I think it speaks to our day and age, our time. Um, as Chris was already talking about earlier today, you know, I look around, I think we just, we live in a very tired and burned out age. Um, we live in an age that I think is just kind of has this low grade anxiety that just kind of sits in with us and kind of this sense of sort of foreboding um, about the future, and, and even, maybe even especially among young people. Um, I, actually, I saw just recently, just a few days ago, I can't remember where I read it, but I saw a story of, it's becoming a thing apparently, that more and more young guys, like I'm talking guys in their 20s or 30s, are getting surgeries to make themselves sterile because they don't want to bring kids into the world. They have that low of a view of the future of our, our world. And I think Isaiah um, and Isaiah, the servant songs of Isaiah speaks to the, the failure of our age, the anxiety of our age, the lack of purpose in our age. So we're going to see that today, hopefully. Um, turn to, with me to the book, to, sorry, to the chapter of Isaiah 49 is where we're going to be today. Um, Isaiah 49, verses 1 through 6. As you're turning there, I wanted to share kind of a, a fun quote by um, the famous reformer, Martin Luther. And he says this, talking about the prophets, the Old Testament prophets. He says, they have a queer way of talking, like people who, instead of proceeding in an orderly manner, ramble off from one thing to the next so that you cannot make head or tail of them or see what they are getting at. So if you've ever been confused reading the prophets, you're in good company. You're with, with Martin Luther. Um, let's read, though, Isaiah 49, starting in verse 1. We're going to go to, to verse 6. Oops, Caroline, can you go back? I went too, too far. 
Thank you. All right. So he says, listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Now, at first glance, it seems like a relatively straightforward passage. You kind of have almost this autobiography that this whoever's speaking is giving that from my womb, the Lord called me. He made my, my words kind of sharp like a sword. He covered me and hid me like a, a precious weapon. But then he kind of responds back to the Lord saying, but I, I've, my labor has been in vain. But then the Lord responds back to him, kind of reassures, no, you are my favored servant and you are going to bring the people of Israel back to me. But he says, but that's too light a thing. I have a much bigger plan in mind. You're going to be a light to the nations. You're going to spread my salvation to the ends of the earth. But I would offer to you that this is a surprising passage. I think that, I think that the original hearers of it would have been a little surprised by what it is implying. And I think even more so that it is surprising in the way that it is used later on in Scripture. So to read it rightly, I think we have to be surprised by it, to see the surprise in it. And that's why I'm calling today's message a song of surprise. So we're going to look at three surprises from this passage and how it connects to, to who we are Today And first is, is this, surprise number one, is Israel's failure and mine. Israel's failure and mine. Now, it's always important when you're looking at any passage, but maybe even more so an Old Testament passage, is to keep the literary context in mind. What do I mean by that when I say literary context? I mean, basically, why does Isaiah 49 follow Isaiah 48? What happens before that kind of sets up how we are to read this chapter? In Isaiah 48, the previous chapter is basically saying that Israel, the nation of Israel, has failed to be all that God called her to be. It starts out, here's just verse 1 of the chapter. It says, Hear this, O Jacob, O house of Jacob, who are called by the name of Israel, who came from the waters of Judah, who swear by the name of the Lord and confess the God of Israel, but not in truth or Right, And the chapter is going to go on to basically say that because of her obstinate rebellion, because of her disobedience, because of her idolatry, Israel has failed in every way to be what God called her to be. And so she has been sent into exile. But God says, I'm going to defer my anger from you. I'm not going to just leave you there. 
And in light of this, though, in light of this idea that Israel has failed and fallen short to be what God has called her to be, I, you're free to disagree, but I find it hard to believe that when Isaiah says, back to our passage in Isaiah 49.3, you are my servant Israel in whom I will be glorified, that he's not talking about the Old Testament nation of Israel. I'm going to confess to you, I don't know, I don't know Hebrew, okay? I'm not a, not a Hebrew Old Testament scholar. So I'm going to confess that I'm, I am leaning a little bit on the shoulders of more, far more brilliant guys. But I do think that there is strong support for, what I'm going to, for the point that I'm making and I'm going to make here. And so I'm going to read you a couple of, a few quotes. I have more quotes today than I normally do. But um, these are from some, some well-respected Old Testament scholars, conservative, evangelical. Um, but one guy, a guy named, the name of John Golden Gay, says, talking about this passage, he says, The naming of this servant figure, Israel, means that, quote, Israel in exile is not really capable at that moment of living up to what it means to be. Israel. Another scholar, Alec Matye, goes even further, and he says, naming this servant figure Israel is about, quote, more than just Israel's incapacity to live up to an ideal, rather the forfeiture of all rights to the name. Israel has failed to be what God has called her to be. And so let's take that back now to, to our time, to our, our moment in history. You know, we could be very easy to take this to a place of just talking about how the church has failed to be what God has called her to be. We could talk about that for a long time, but I don't really want to go there. I don't want this to be a, a church bashing time. Um, I want to make it more personal because uh, I would guess that there are people watching and who are here that would feel like you have failed to be all that God has called you to be. And to just speak to the men for, for a second. Um, you may exude outward confidence, a lot of guys do, but I would guess that in your, your secret moments, your secret thoughts, that you have thoughts of feeling like, I have fallen short, I have failed, whether it's a, a moral failure or just failing to, to live up to expectations put on you. And I can say that because I'm going to confess as a guy, I have thoughts like that at times that I feel like, you know, I have fallen short, not being a, an attentive enough husband, not being a present enough father, not being a pastoral enough church staff member, not being a good enough friend, a good enough follower of Jesus. I know it's not just a, a man thing either. Women also, maybe more so, battle with this. Moms in particular, I can say this because I'm married to a mom, that they're always battling, feeling like they're falling short. And Unfortunately, mom shaming is a very real thing on, on social media. Maybe as a, as a working woman, you feel like you just can't possibly live up to the ideals put on you to get everything done that you have to get done yesterday while maintaining the figure of an Instagram influencer. Maybe as a young person, as a, as a student, feeling it's easy to feel like you're not measuring up to the expectations, the weight put on you by your, your parents or your teachers or your coaches. I grew up um, 
many know, I grew up the, the son of a college baseball coach. My dad, long time uh, college baseball coach here in, in Birmingham and very well known, very famous, um, just respected in the greater Birmingham area and in the state of Alabama, really around the, the southeast. Um, very successful. And I grew up in a baseball-loving home, um, really grew up thinking I would play college baseball one day and, and go on to probably coach college baseball. But as I got older, into my, my teen years, I just I started feeling this, this pressure to, to live up to really the, the name that I was, was carrying, what I was wearing on my, my back, on my jersey. And I want to be crystal clear that my dad never put this pressure on me. He was always very, very supportive, very encouraging, very loving. Um, I want to emphasize that. But older I got, the more I carried that pressure on myself. And just looking around, I, I mean, I was okay. I was had a little bit of talent, but just looking around, I noticed that a lot of guys were far more talented than me, far better ball players than me. And um, it finally got to the point where there was no joy anymore in playing this game that I used to love playing. And when I was 16, I, I gave up playing baseball competitively. And I wonder if you can relate to that, um, not in the sense of playing a sport, but it, in that you feel like you fail to live up to the name that you're wearing, that you're carrying, the name of Christian husband. Christian father, Christian mother, wife, Christian grandparent, Christian friend, follower of Christ. And if you can, you can relate to the situation that Israel finds herself in, in Isaiah 49. And the world would say, well, if, if you're feeling like that, then just give the middle finger to the people that are putting that pressure on you and just say, screw the boundaries and you do you. Of course, I think we're, we're seeing that that has not really led to a lot of health emotionally and, and spiritually and mentally in our nation. And the Bible would have a different approach. It would have what feels like a very counterintuitive approach, but it would say, no, embrace your insufficiency. Come to grips with the fact that you are not enough. I'm not saying just like bad talk yourself and just go into this spiral of self-hatred. It's just saying... Realize that you are not enough, that you have fallen short. Because when you realize that you've fallen short, you're ready for the one who is enough. And that leads to right into surprise number two. And it's this, the servant is salvation. I worded that on purpose. I didn't say the servant brings salvation. I said the servant is salvation. I think that this servant figure in Isaiah 49 verse 6 is actually going to be someone who is going to embody what Israel has failed to be. That this servant is going to succeed where Israel, who was supposed to be God's servant, failed. And so I think that this passage points forward to the gospel. And I, I think I can confidently say that I stand on a very long, rich tradition in church history when I, when I say this. So I'm going to nerd out just for just a few seconds. This is kind of more for the, our seminary people who are here. Um, but Augustine, the great third century 
third, fourth century theologian, um, when he was a young, a young guy, young Christian, he, uh, he asked his mentor, um, Bishop Ambrose, what should I read? Where should I read in the Bible? And he said later that his mentor, Bishop Ambrose, pointed him to the book of Isaiah. Now, I'm just going to say, if I'm mentoring a young believer, probably not going to point him to the book of Isaiah. Um, unless, unless maybe they just have a really brilliant mind like Augustine, then maybe I would. But um, Augustine went to write later, he said that he thought the reason why Ambrose pointed him to Isaiah was that it more clearly than the other Old Testament books and, and passages pointed ahead to the gospel. And actually, among early church fathers of the, the first few centuries of the church, Isaiah was actually known as the fifth gospel because it pointed to, to Christ. And there's an old um, theological phrase. It isn't really used much anymore, but I want to kind of bring back today because I think it is just incredibly pastorally helpful. Um, something that theologians have sometimes referred to over the years and it's called the active obedience of Christ. The active obedience of Christ. And the idea is basically this. The, the gospel is more than just Jesus dying to pay the price for your sins to remove away guilt, to clear you of that. Even though that is gloriously true. And as Pastor Bart said last week, you can't take that away from the gospel or you lose the gospel. But the act of obedience of Christ is this idea that where you have failed, where you have fallen short, where you have disobeyed, Christ has perfectly obeyed the law, the expectations of God in your place. That where Adam failed to be all that God called him to be, Christ has succeeded. That where Israel failed to be all that God called her to be, them to be, Christ has succeeded. The where you have failed to be all that God calls you to be, Christ has succeeded. Where I have failed, Christ has succeeded. And it's, it, it goes beyond this idea that you're just like, you're brought into this state where you're sort of like, you're fine. You, you've had the, the negative stuff taken away, but you're kind of in this neutral state where you're just, you're okay with God, but not really more than that. No, it goes far beyond that. It's this idea that Christ. Perfect obedience is thought of as if it is belonging to you. And when Christ looks on you, who've put your trust in Christ, that he looks at you with the same pleasure that he looks at Jesus because he thinks of Jesus' obedience as belonging to you. Can I get an amen? amen. And you may say, well, that's just, that's Old Testament. That's... I feel like you're reading a little bit too much into this Isaiah passage. Let's go New Testament for just a second to a verse that you, a story that if you've grown up in church, you, you, you're familiar with. Um, the story is when uh, the baby Jesus is about eight days old and his uh, Jewish parents, Joseph and Mary, take him into the temple to be circumcised like any Jewish parents would. And he meets this elderly man named Simeon who's been waiting for a long, long time for the salvation of Israel, the Messiah to come, and the Holy Spirit kind of leads him, connects him with this young Jewish couple. He sees the baby. He gets to hold the baby Jesus in his arms, and he basically says, now I can go to my grave in peace because my eyes have seen the salvation 
that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for your glory to your people Israel. It's not a direct quote, but there's enough key theological words here that you just saw pop up in Isaiah 49 that scholars think that he is referring back to this very passage in Isaiah 49. And that Luke, on the lips of Simeon, is applying this servant passage to Jesus and saying, he is the servant of the Lord. Theologian J.D. Kingsbury says this, but whereas Israel, son of God, broke faith with God, Jesus, son of God, renders to him perfect obedience. You can insert your own name in there. Where Scott broke faith with God, Jesus, son of God, renders to him perfect obedience. This next quote is from an old, another old theologian. I've got him in the name of Irenaeus. I, uh, it's kind of one of my, my silly um, old man dreams. I would love to one day, um, Andy's watching right now. She's home with uh, the kids. Ellie's a little sick this morning, not with COVID, but uh, she's watching. I, I've told her that when we get old and the kids are gone, I would love to own a bulldog. And uh, just because I love bulldogs, I don't know why, I just have always thought they were, were cute and, and love to name him Irenaeus. So, um, because of quotes like this one, this, is, this, this quote gives me chills. So by the means of the obedience by which he obeyed unto death, hanging upon the tree, he undid the old disobedience occasioned by the tree. You get what he's saying? He's basically summing up the whole Bible in this one quote. The disobedience happened at a tree in the Garden of Eden. And, dis, and that disobedience is undone by the obedience of Christ at the tree. But I wanted to, to just draw your attention to this, this concept of old disobedience being undone by the obedience of Christ. And the idea is that your disobedience, when you place your trust in Christ, it is undone, not erased as if it doesn't exist, but covered with the obedience of Christ. And you are viewed as having the obedience of Christ. And I know for those who you know, have been around the gospel for a long time, you, it's easy to just go, well, yeah, that's the gospel. But sometimes it's helpful to kind of put on the lenses of more of the outsider of the person that has just been really inundated with the, the thoughts and spirit of our age. And I was trying to do that a few days ago in, in thinking about this concept of the active obedience of Christ and just started thinking, you know, to many, this, this frankly just sounds too good to be true. Like, we believe that because of what some guy did 2,000 years ago, that our mess-ups can be somehow covered and we're now good with the creator of the universe? I mean, really? It just, that, that sounds too good to be true. And you, that may be you. You may be, if you're honest, you may be saying, yes, when I'm speaking, I believe it. But in my private moments, there are times where this just sounds too good to be true. Especially if you've been really influenced by the culture and have tend to become pretty cynical, which can happen to all of us when we just are, are caught up in the things that are going on. It tends to just breed this cynicism in us that any good news, we just, we want to scotch it. Like, no, that's, that's too good to be true. 
And I want to say to you, if you're here and that's kind of more your thoughts, or even if you're watching online, that just it sounds to be true. I can sympathize with you because there are moments where, if I'm honest, I'm like, this is just, this sounds too good to be true. And I'm not going to try to argue with you. I'm not going to try to intellectually prove that, that it's true. But could I just ask you a question? Would you like it to be true? Would you want it to be true? Can you imagine how your soul might feel if it was true and if you believed it? I think that's a good place to start. The 20th century theologian J. Gresham Machen um, was a, 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 a professor, theologian at Old Princeton Seminary in the kind of the early 20th century. Very prominent, um, published, well-known, kind of a kind of a champion for conservative theology and kind of the rising tide of liberal theology. But as he lay dying in a North Dakota hospital, um, his last recorded words that we, we have from him is, is this. J. Grisham Machen said, I'm so thankful for the active obedience of Christ. No hope without it. I wonder for you, the, the day is going to come where just you have nothing left to give. You, there's no energy, no ability left in you to give anything, to do anything, to contribute to your record. You don't know the day of your death, but the day is going to come where that day is going to be here. I'm not trying to be morbid, but that's reality. And I wonder when that time comes, are you going to rest on and hope that the things that you've done is enough to satisfy you or to more importantly satisfy God? Or are you going to say with J. Gresham Machen, no, I'm so thankful for the obedience of Christ. I'm placing all my hope, all my chips on that. So we can embrace our insufficiency because the servant is salvation in our place. There's more surprise left for us in this passage. Surprise number three. This is the last one. The servants and the servants mission to the unexpected. Now, that is not a typo. Um, I did that on purpose. The first servant is capitalized and it's singular. Second servants is lowercase s and it is plural. A servant and the servants mission to the unexpected. Going back to, to our, our passage in Isaiah 49, um, this is really about this servant being a light to, to the nations. It kind of starts with, um, listen, oh, coastlands, those who are far off, and it kind of ends with um, talking about the nations and being a light to them and the ends of the earth, and, um, which is also why, by the way, I, I think it's talking about more than just the ministry of, of the prophet, the, the one who's writing this. Um, by the way, if that phrase, the ends of the earth, the end of the, if that sounds a little familiar, uh, it should. We just finished a multiple-week series called The End of the Earth on the book of Acts because um, the phrase appears multiple times in the book of Acts. But this Isaiah 49 passage is going to pop up in the book of Acts, and Paul is going to use it in a most surprising 
way, an unexpected way. In Acts 13, the, the context is you have Paul and Barnabas. They're on a missionary trip, and they're in a Roman colony, Antioch. means mostly Gentiles, mostly non-Jews. But they're at a synagogue. Paul's preaching, and he's given the gospel, and basically revival is starting to break out. And you have more and more Gentiles are flocking to this place. And it, and it says, basically, the whole city comes and converges on this little Jewish synagogue to hear this little Jewish man give a message that is good news for them. And the Jewish leaders don't like it. They get very jealous and they begin contradicting what Paul is saying. Because in their minds, the whole idea of being the kind of favored people of God means that when you have this angry horde or that kind of the enemies of God out there, it means more about God punishing them rather than welcoming them into his family. And Paul says, this is just part of it, but he says, he says this, Acts 13, 47, For so the Lord commanded us, Paul speaking about him and Barnabas, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Does that sound familiar? That actually is a direct quote of Isaiah 49. And so Paul is saying, I think, that as he and Barnabas follow in the footsteps of this servant of the Lord, they carry the mantle of the servant of the Lord, they step into his mission, and they get to see it carried out. And so may ask, well, okay, who is the servant of the Lord? Is it Jesus? Is it Paul and Barnabas? Is it us? And I think the answer is yes. Because ultimately it is Jesus. Those of us who trust in the servant of the Lord become servants of the Lord and we get invited into this mission that is bigger than ourselves and we get to play a part in seeing this salvation go to the ends of the earth. So two points of, of application. First is this, just because Jesus is the one who succeeds where you have failed, that doesn't mean you sit back and you do nothing. At times, certain segments of the church have done a really good job of preaching the grace of the gospel, the grace of God, that you know, Jesus has you know, paid the price for you, and that's awesome. But then the implication sometimes seems to be so that what, what I do now doesn't really matter because I can't add to Jesus' perfect record, so you know, what I do doesn't really matter. And that's not a biblically accurate way of presenting the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus lived in your place, achieved perfect obedience, died in your place, but now you get invited into his mission. The gospel is not Jesus paid it all, so I sit back and do nothing until he comes back. The gospel is Jesus paid it all, so now I have freedom, I have purpose, I'm invited to a bigger mission, something bigger than myself, and I get to pay, play a role in seeing it spread to the ends of the earth. Here's what it also means. This salvation message is meant to go to those who don't deserve it and to go to those who we think don't deserve it. See, going back to Acts 13, these Jewish leaders were not happy about all these Gentiles 
coming to hear Paul preach the gospel because they did not see them as being fit for salvation. And there's a few reasons why. They saw them as morally inferior as Gentiles. They were just, they were morally inferior, didn't follow the, the law. They were culturally different. They were spiritually pagan. They were political enemies. And if we're not careful, we can fall prey to the same kind of thinking. And if we're honest, we sometimes, maybe oftentimes, do. Sometimes we can put people in these boxes and categories where we think, well, that person's just, they're, they're too unreachable with the gospel. Maybe they're too hardened to it or too immoral for it. And we tend to view those people sometimes as enemies. Maybe it's somebody at your work or somebody in your family who just mocks you for being a follower of Jesus or somebody who just, in your mind, they're the most closed off person you can imagine to God. Maybe it's somebody who is sexually broken in a way that is different from how you are sexually broken. Maybe it's somebody who would hold to a group of people that would hold to cultural and political agendas that you see as just so anti-God that you would rather God destroy them than save them, if you're honest. And we can view them as enemies. But Paul, standing on the foundation of Isaiah 49, and Isaiah 49 and Acts 13 serves to remind us that we don't see them as enemies we see them as people who have failed to be all that God called them to be like we have failed to be all that God has called us to be. And if the obedience of Christ is good enough and sufficient enough to cover your disobedience, then it is good enough and sufficient enough to cover their disobedience too. And so I'd like to ask um, Craig and the, the team to come back up now and, and play um, we're going to enter into to communion here in just a minute, but um, here's how I would like to, um, to sort of end the, the, the message part of today. If you feel comfortable, um, would you mind closing your eyes? And we're just going to pray for a minute. And I just want to ask you to picture if there's someone that comes to your mind who, or a group of people, or one person, or whoever who you would say you've, you've kind of put them in this category where they're, just, they're unreachable with the gospel. Maybe it's, like I said, somebody that you know or a group of people that you, just, you view that way. And we're just going to pray. Father, I ask you, God, that you would forgive us for where we have where we have been like those Jewish leaders who just see certain people as just not, not fit, people that don't look like us, that don't, aren't like us, as not fit for, for your message of salvation. God, maybe we've become tired of like we have shared and we're saying like the Isaiah 49 passage, like surely my work, my labor has been in vain. God, would you remind us would you remind us of the goodness and the power of the obedience of Christ in our place? Would faith rise up within us, within this people?
And God, I ask that some of these people who, who we're picturing right now, I'm just gonna ask in faith that in the next few months, in the next year, that they would come to know Christ as Savior. And God, even in your, in your brilliant mercy and plan, would you use some of the people here at Fullness to introduce and to lead some of these individuals to the servant of the Lord, to the King, Jesus. God, for those here also who just feel like they're just, it's hard to even go there. They just are, are sitting in their own failure. God, would you remind them of how good Jesus is and how good his obedience is that where they have broken faith with God, that Jesus has rendered perfect obedience in their place for his glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're gonna transition now to the, the table.